and introducing a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing those wild-eyed boys. Yes, we're talking Thin Lizzy, the Irish hard rock group that obtained international recognition through their 1976 single, The Boys Are Back in Town. But through a series of unfortunate events, never obtained long-term fame they perhaps deserved and remained in the shadow of the boys, destined to become a beloved Twitter joke. Today we'll be learning all about them through their oral history, Thin Lizzy. The boys are back in town. Real creative title. But first, let's introduce our own guest on the third mic. It's writer, critic, and creator of the enormously popular nationally produced Edu Party Lecture Series, Drunk Education. It's Eric Thurm. Hey, everybody. Uh, I just want to start by saying In the Shadow of the Boys would have been a much better name for this book. Yes, it would have. Right off the bat. You should have probably co-written this at the very least, (laughs) if not contributed to with uh, forward by maybe that could be your your forward uh, it's actually forward by because i literally wrote four words <laughs> <laughs> perhaps that could be the, na- the name of your collection of critical essays re-examining uh the boys are back in town yeah shadow uh, shadow of the boys four words i also just want to be clear right off the bat that thin lizzie is short for thinnered lizard uh <laughs> no. and the same way that leonard skinner is long for lynn skizzy I don't have a good yeah. Leave. I don't have a good. I don't have a good response to that. No, I'm sorry. That's my one prepared joke for today. I just I just thought it was you know short for thin lizard. You know those really skinny lizards. Yes, one a, a snake. No, a different kind. <laughs> Real thin, like you can barely see it. <laughs> uh, Eric, how are you? I'm doing great. Great. It's so good to finally have you on. Uh, I'm excited to be, be here, here eventually. Uh, we wanted to call you in today because uh, you are our friend who I, I would most say is uh, an expert in uh, Twitter semiotics. Okay. Yeah, I'll take that. Okay, for, <laughs> for sure. Uh, I really, for a second, I thought you were going to say I'm an expert on boys. And then I was going to be like, that's right, everybody. I'm an expert on boys. Uh, <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, this is... Uh, the boys are back in town. It has over the, like the last eighteen months or so become. I like, think it's actually longer than that. I I it's it maybe three years now. I would say because I I uh, while we were preparing to record this, I went back through the archives of the boys are back in town jokes, and they date at least to the end of twenty fifteen. Damn. I, I guess also like time has compressed for me. So like no, totally, seems like it was eighteen yeah. months ago. Yeah. Um. You you know how it goes, but but yeah. So this this one song, this one very good mid seventies hard rock song, has become uh, one of the like canonical five Twitter joke songs, along with All Star Smooth by Santana featuring Rob Thomas. Yes. Um, I guess we can count that that poem about the plums. It's sort of like yeah, a yeah, song yeah. It's, it's in the the online joke pantheon, and so we wanted to bring you on to both like as we all know and love the song explore the world of thin lizzie mm, together yeah explore the space but also yeah, just boys. explore the space yeah yeah learn all but also just you know kind of talk about the boys who are they what do they mean and what do we talk about when we talk about the boys oh my god in town um <laughs> yeah i mean well so I, I think it dates earlier to that i i really should have a bigger list of links prepared but probably you could say i, th- I think ground zero of the boys are back in town uh 
is the the drill it's fucked up how there are like a thousand christmas songs but only one song about the boys being back in town oh damn you're right that is, that which is, is that's the, the yeah that's the ground zero a drill tweet. november november 29th 2015 if you're looking for the exact timestamp on that uh thank you drill i'm wondering i'm looking over your shoulder and seeing that you haven't faved that tweet and i'm just wondering why are you a cop eric <laughs> if you haven't faved that tweet you're a cop um i, I will say this Save that tweet. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Actually, we we can go early. We can go definitely earlier uh, to, at the very least, to, man, I really should have done this in a chronological order, (laughs) uh, to to, uh, the Tim Faust Vice article, I played the boys are back in town on a bar jukebox until I got kicked out. Oh, wow. That was Tim Faust? Faust. Wow. Yeah. That guy came back around in a weird, in a very (laughs) different way. Very good. Like a very good way. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. He's back in town. He, He, Look, you got you got to go away to come back. And Tim Faust came, went away, and then came back in town in a big way. <laughs> when he went away, did he go to jail because he got uh, yeah. arrested for playing the boys? Yeah, and while he was in guy? in jail, uh, he got radicalized about healthcare. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, Wait, so that was twenty fourteen. That was uh, earlier in twenty fifteen. That was okay. March twenty third, twenty fifteen. Great. So there's I, something. Can I, can I read one sentence from this? Yes, please. please. So I. If the drill tweet is in fact a response to this, this if this is genuinely the ground zero, uh, this is how it happened. This is a quote. The first time I visited, I did what I do whenever I find myself in a new bar. Go to the jukebox and see what record is number 69. <laughs> oh. So, like, if that's actually the case, that, like, the origin of the... of the boys are back in town being a meme is, in fact, that it was the 69th record on this jukebox, that's extremely good and also very nice yes wow uh wow that's an amazing bit of internet <laughs> it's really good and also nice <laughs> um it is both good and nice well there's something about this song then right uh that that strikes a nerve more than it being the 69th record on a very nice jukebox um and i think that that it has also to do with the rise of boys everybody's boys look at these these boys the good boys the bad boys I mean, to just dive full head on into the semiotics of this, uh, I think in this this moment that we're in uh, of shifting concepts of masculinity and the appropriateness of masculinity in, in certain times, it becomes a much easier way to talk about guys than to talk about men. Mm. Instead, talk about boys. Right. You see what you see what I'm saying? It, it, it uh, makes makes the concept of masculinity much safer to refer to things as boys. And in that is why it's funny in a way and people like saying that and it, it becomes a joke yeah that checks out yeah i definitely i mean are there specific examples of this that you because there definitely are so many i am not enough of an internet anthropologist to have successfully or historian to have traced this back uh alongside the way people talk about animals but i think mm. that probably is a big part of it yeah like the dog like, look at this good yeah yeah, yeah yeah exactly um uh, which kind of has the same like coziness to it mm-hmm of taking this thing and kind of very consciously thinking of it as being fluffy and, and intentionally non-threatening. Yeah. Which I think you get in most cases where people either describe themselves as boys or when people describe, uh, things that they like as being boys, which I think, you know, I mean, there are lots of different examples of this that could range from, I think our probably biggest shared example is people talking about the, uh, McElroy podcast family as yes. being, being good. And boys. the McElroys refer to things as boys. They don't well, as often anymore. Yes. And we, we can get into that later because I, I have some thoughts on why that's the case. Um, but yeah, sort of that or, you know, 
um, I'm sure there are people who like, there are so many people who are like, I'm the good boy of this or, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know, our, our, our friend Sean Collins, a uh, pension for referring to himself as the bad boy of television criticism. Yeah. The original bad boy original of TV criticism, boy. which is how which is he was referred to good. on this very podcast. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there are a lot of reasons why, I mean, also boy is just like a funny word. Like it rhymes with a lot of stuff. Um, it has a good plosive which is a classic comedy yeah. sound and ends with the oi which uh you know is also i guess a classic which is comedy a, sound a statement Jewish. of uh, yeah. uh <laughs> i can say that <laughs> what is that triple parentheses yeah. oi oh my <laughs> oh god no. Oh. oh no uh, yeah, yes. it's infantilizing and a safe way to collectively yes. refer to a large group that's, of, that, of things. That's why Charlie XCX was busy thinking about boys. But girls not. have been referring to boys as boys since time immemorial. Mm-hmm. It's always been yeah, but thinking needed, about boys. It, oh my boy god, problems, it was not, boy trouble. Yeah, well, okay, talk. yeah, boy problems. Um, <laughs> but it, I do, I do think it's worth noting that that is like a historical usage and that. Uh, thankfully, uh, men arrive to rehabilitate it and make it something that could be mainstream popular, I guess. <laughs> so congratulations to us collectively. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, absolutely. You're welcome. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's like one of the things I wanted to touch on. And I think that there, are, I think we hit most of the major parts there. Well, I also think that, you know, being in a band is being in a, in a, in a big old group of boys, especially this band. They're just a, they're just a whole pile of boys. It's it, okay. It's a mess it, of boys. There is. Yeah. I, without having to like dive too deeply into things I haven't thought uh, too much about, because that's what my right. writing, that's what my writing is for. Mm-hmm. Um, no, there is kind of a safety net sort of that goes into describing someone as a boy, which like to briefly be very serious is a thing, you know, when you refer to either like, victims of crime or people who do crimes uh, as being boys or men, right? There's, like, a very large body of literature on, like, who gets referred to as a man Mm -hmm. or a boy and why. Mm -hmm. Um, But even, like, being in a boy band, right? Thin Lizzy, I mean, Thin Lizzy is definitely a boy band, but Thin Lizzy is not a boy band in the way that we would usually refer to a band as being a boy band. It's like a boys Uh, to men band. Yeah, exactly. They are boys to men. They are on the spectrum of boys to men. You heard it here first. Uh, but that that sort of that happens so that you can view the boys as like this safe object for your affection that isn't going to let you down in some way that like the artificiality of it is kind of like part of the appeal um, in a sense, which I, you know, I think is kind of important uh, sort of just in terms of thinking about like who gets to be a boy. Right. Mm-hmm. And why? Yes. Um, I feel like I definitely had something else that I was going to say, but I think I spent a little bit too much time at Dino's. At Dino's, yes. Oh, man. Had too many corn dogs at the bar and grill. Do they eat corn dogs in that song? I don't know. I would, no, I was just I gonna, would hope there's corn dogs. I was just no. going to ask what's on the menu what, at Dino's. What kind of bar and grill is this? Potato skins. Mm, Moz, I, Moz sticks, of Mozzarella course. sticks. Yeah. We can like imagine, like we can build a, the Boys Are Back in Town cinematic universe. Yes. <laughs> uh, are all those other songs that we mentioned in the same universe? Uh, as well, that's the other. I mean, the boys yeah. like uh, Johnny is a recurring character. I, <laughs> I will love when say people this. have recurring characters and then name him them the most like generic. 
yeah. name where it would be very possible that every time they referred to Johnny, like you could know like six guys named Johnny, right? Johnny's like they they refer to the, him in this book as like the Irish folk hero that is sort of a through line of many of Thin Lizzy's songs. So jo- Johnny is a he's he's a repeat boy, a repeat boy, yeah. So there, I think there is a cinematic universe of the boys are back in town. Multiple boys. Okay, actually, I wanna I wanna ask a question to kind of determine what the line is between like being boys and being men. Yeah, are the characters of the Magic Mike franchise boys or men? Good question. And this actually reminds me of something I was going to say. But when you were saying that uh, Thin Lizzy is a band of just a big pile of boys. Yeah. Um, wow. Also, also boys. a great description of the magic Mike films. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that being in a band puts you in this state, a touring, like working rock band puts you in this state of like prolonged rowdy, uh, irresponsibility. Like you, mm-hmm. you, all you have to do is get from gig to gig and collect that night's pay or, you know, get, as we've often talked about on this, like get your next allowance from your labor label. And you can kind of like, avoid doing the things that are the hallmarks of building a real mature life. Yes. And so being in a real working band, no matter what age you're at kind of puts you in a state of eternal boyness. Yes. And I would say that that is like kind of similar to the, the world as depicted of magic Mike, where it's like they're in this kind of prolonged eternal, like working boyness. Um, and the nature of what they do, they do prevents them from, uh, stepping up it's, in, it, into it. Yeah, I, I appreciate the step. I don't know if that was an intentional step up. Yeah. Reference. Oh, yeah. Cool. Uh, I mean, I do think it's interesting to think about that as like a self-inflicted uh, kind of criterion of boydom. But that also like the reason that I asked the question is because those characters are all like intentionally very lovable and intentionally yes. supposed to be kind of like very non-threatening in this like very pure form of masculinity that's being expressed for like the predominantly female or like attracted to dudes audience, mm-hmm. like people who have been cursed to be attracted to Dick um, <laughs> audience of the magic Mike films. And I wonder if those things have to necessarily be related because I wonder if there's a connection between that and sort of the similar reason I think that men often refer to uh, women as being girls, which is that, you know, there's like this kind of fear is like the wrong word, uh, but, you know, that's sort of there's this like connotation that you can't like control and like understand the whole thing and that you kind of like exist outside of having to interact with people as like being complex. Yeah. Um, which is why you're like, oh, yeah, like this girl group or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it's like it's, it's mm-hmm. flattening in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which can be good, but also can be bad. That's right, everybody. Something can be good, but also it can be bad. I don't know if we have room for that kind of nuance on this podcast. This is a, this is a straight up or down, black or white, good or bad. The wise man, the wise man turned and said, "There's no difference between good and bad." This is this is actually a, just a drill podcast mapped onto music because all we do is talk about drill jokes. Yeah, it's actually very anyway, subtle spawn con. Yeah, uh, it, mark that off on your end. Introducing bingo. That is uh, one of the main uh, squares. Yeah. Um, but not the middle square. That's a free space. Yeah, that's a free space. Because you got to have one of those in bingo. Um, anyway, should we talk about Thin Lizzy themselves and maybe we'll re- loop back around to a little more boy content at the end of this? Yes. Okay. Th- Thizzard Lizard? Thin- yeah, Thinnered Lizard. Thinnered Lizard. All right, let's talk about Thinnered Lizard. Um, all right, so this book is ostensibly an oral history, but it's basically this one journalist's perspective on basically being embedded with 
Thin Lizzy in the late 70s. So, so he's been bo- collecting material for a long time. So this is the guy who wrote the book. Yeah, Harry Doherty. So, so wait, just <clears throat> so this is an oral history where most of the content comes from the guy who ostensibly put together the oral history. Yes. It's not like a book that happens to have some stuff that other people said that he incorporated as quotes. He, I mean, he uses a lot of what other people said as quotes. Um, no, no, but, but like, but like, it's in the oral history format and not just like, no, this is what I saw. Like, <laughs> you couldn't, he, just, he couldn't write that in like a first person, like a nonfiction book. He cl- he just he calls it an oral history, but it's basically written like a biography. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I'm may, maybe it's not, oral it's history not like, sell like, better. Quote like block of text, next person no, block of text. No, no, it's not like that at then all. I would oh. say it's not. Yeah, at so all. It's not oral history. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming an agent or someone told him that it would sell better if it was an oral history, which maybe is That's true. That's wild. But I mean, this didn't see the light of day until 2012, so this has been like marinating in the Thin Lizzy um He had to wait barbecue. for the boys to be back in town. The boys were back in town at this can, point. Can I, can I ask... Who embedded him with like? He worked just, for Melody Maker. Just because, okay, just because yeah. I love one of my favorite uh, sex fantasies is thinking about working in uh, arts media in the late twentieth century when people <laughs> would pay for you to do stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> so I just want to know what I'm going to be thinking about later after we record. Yeah. Like, Melody Maker has embedded me with this band for a really, really long time, and I guess they're like letting me do this and not what, file other stories. Yeah. I don't what really band, know what the deal is. What band would you like to get embedded with right now? That's a very loaded question. I know. Um, hmm. Julian Casablanca's. Uh, <laughs> Not now. I, I think like, um, what's that one guy's name? Like Martin Garrix would be really interested to follow, follow him around. He's just a boy. I know, but like He's that like world of uh, uh, like EDA, like EDM young, hot, okay, EDM actually, superstardom. I have, I have an answer. Uh, of the bands that like are actual boy bands, I think the one I would most like to be embedded with at the moment is Ray Schrammerd. Mm. That, that's a good answer because uh, as as uh, my friend Bernie Spanos is fond of saying, Ray Schrammerd is the world's best boy band. <laughs> um, Where is the lie? No, like there, and I'm very just excited. like I'm just very like uh, until I mean until they stop being a thing. One Direction was the world's was the current world's best Thin Lizzy. Were they? Well, they, they were like have the at only least like, one Irish member. Yeah, yeah, they were like the only like boy rock band. Who, which band did the song Glad You Came? The Wanted? I think there might have been a couple Irish boys in The Wanted, but they were very short-lived. Anyway, but we weren't talking about The Wanted anyway. We're talking about Fizzard, Fizzard Lizard. Well, wait, who would you get embedded with? Uh, like, as a band right now? Yeah, to get to, to write about them for, like, six months. Oh, God. Um, oh, I didn't know I had to actually write at the end of this. I just assumed the oh, music no, you have was to paying produce, for it. You have to produce some content. They're not, you know, just paying oh, you to no. hang I mean, out with them. Again, as we're saying, the, the, the fantasy of 20th century magazine yeah. journalism, where they'd, like, pay you up front to go hang out with guys for six months, and then maybe you would turn in something at the end. Oh. I mean, to be the, mo- the most fun experience... I feel like would be like major laser or something. Yeah, yeah. Just like I party with Diplo for like yeah. three I, weeks. I don't want to cheat. I, I I want to offer a separate. Like I definitely am not the person who should write a six month uh uh profile of Ray Schremmerd. Uh, but I am the person who definitely should be writing a six month long profile of Grizzly Bear. Get at me, at <laughs> that's right. We we had very very reasonable days thinking about harmonies. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, I'm gonna, here's ten thousand words on Grizzly Bear programming his loop pedal. <laughs> it's not and eating a reasonable toast lunch. Perhaps the, some ricotta I, on toast the, the most important thing that you need to know about my is that I like really had to physically restrain myself from being like Grizzly Bear's not one dude. Like these are the names of all the people in Grizzly Bear. 
unfortunately, I am spiritually uh, a middle-aged man who is right. very cool in we'll, 2008. We'll pour, pour one grizzly bear out for Eric. One bear. Uh, all right. Thin Lizzy. Thin, thin Lizard. Um, so they came out of the scene of Irish show bands, which were like the, it was, quote, the backbone of their social lives. Um, <laughs> these are like bands that basically played hits and standards for 2,000-person ballrooms. Sometimes they played their own Irish version of country and Western music. Um, it's like it was just the social music of Two- Irish folks in the 60s and early 70s 2000 people that's a that's a really yeah, big massive, yeah. yeah yeah wait can can i clarify so, yeah this is this is specifically in ireland not yes. like irish american uh no this is irish okay. I, I, ireland irish ireland yeah. irish okay. and these are i think they're all dublin adjacent if not in yes. dublin so they started it was a trio um phil i'm not gonna fuck this up phil line it's not phil Lynott. phil line and brian downey phil is the bassist brian is the drummer they were first together in a band called orphanage um good, good band name. good irish that band, is a really name. Good band name they formed a trio with this guitarist <laughs> eric bell um and then they also moved in together to this fantastic dublin party house uh, Eric Bell said, everybody in Dublin heard about this house and what would happen. We would smoke dope and the record player would be on all day. All day. All day. Fantastic Dublin Party House. Also a really good yeah. band name. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I, this, is, this is a thing that I would be very interested in. Good, good seed. Yeah. I would go over there yes. if I found out about it. But I never find out about cool parties. So yeah, I probably cool. wouldn't have gone. We are Fantastic Dublin Party House. <laughs> <laughs> whoop, whoop. whoop. Um, <laughs> here's, our, then, for, here's our debut single. Smoke dope slash record player on all day. Record player on all day. Uh, their first manager, the band's first manager, was 17 years old. <laughs> like, hey, you guys need a... If wait, your baby gets your show over at the warehouse, you how, need it. How old were they at this, this time? Early 20s. Like, 21, 22. And they didn't, like, bully him? <laughs> they were stoked someone wanted to, like, get them gigs. They're did like, he do a good job? He did, he did an okay job. He was like, that, cool, yeah. yeah. It's very rare you hear a young, hungry band reaching younger than them to, to get their connections. Sometimes it's about those, you know, those wheeler dealers. No, I'm, I mean, I would much rather have, like, a teen manager than kind of, like, an older skeevy manager. Yeah. That's true. Like, Probably going to not get as exploited. Although no, it would exactly. be hilarious if that, if that, if yeah, the kid was, like, like, scamming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I sure, was, I'll get you, kid. You want to get, uh, yeah, just give me uh, uh, 35 bucks to put a deposit on. I'll get, I'm, like, imagining him as, like, a the crutchy from Newsies or something. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Yes. So, uh, Phil at this time, the author says, here was a young pretender throwing a couple of shapes and generally letting everybody in on the secret that he was a star. He had the charisma. He was like, he was a hot, he was hot shit. Um, the band developed a local reputation. They signed with DECA. Um, the, the, a DECA employee said of Phil Linet, he was a black Irishman. I'd never seen one before. (laughs) So Phil was black. His dad was Guyanese. Um, and this was a total, complete rarity in Ireland to the point where, like, I feel like he didn't experience a lot of traditional racism because no one knew how to do it. Yeah. They, like, there was no there was, tradition There was of no it, so institution like, to, to, like, think about black people in Ireland. He was a an, a, an oddity and, uh, you know, someone to, like, point a finger at and be like, what the fuck? But not, which is still not great. Like, that's still super othering, but... He, he huh. said, yeah, 
he said that later on, this is like much further along, um, on a tour date in Texas, uh, their future guitarist said that he was in a redneck bar with Phil, and the DJ came up and said, we don't get many of your kind in here. They prepared to fight their way out, but it turned out the guy meant we don't get many rock stars in here, and he offered <laughs> to buy us a drink. I feel like he had I, like, I thought the he was Arthur Fist going. Yeah. Yeah. No. Wait, that's the, that honestly rules. Yeah. That sounds like that sounds like a joke from a like SNL adjacent movie from the like we don't get many of your kind in here. Oh, by which I I guess I just mean that sounds like something that they would have said in the the Redneck Bar in the Blues Brothers. Yes, yes. Um, But uh, I also am imagining him touring (laughs) the South and uh, in a certain time of people being more mad that he was Irish than black. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's I'm definitely not none of us a person to talk about this, but I'm actually genuinely interested in like if there is like scholarship about him as like a kind of like dual like black and Irish figure given there's like so I remember what, what the book is um, about kind of like the history of of like whiteness in America and how mm-hmm. Irish people basically were like black for a really, really long time, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess is like very obvious if you like read a lot about like the history of race, but it's like, was like super, super mind blowing to me when I first heard about mm-hmm. it. Um, and I wonder whether that like shaped any of their experiences in the States. When yeah. They were touring. I yeah. mean, he's individually, he's maybe a little post that separation in, in terms of time, mm-hmm. but it's a, it is a very interesting identity also do do you know if he was catholic or protestant i don't know i don't think that any of them were practicing in any way um i i I, you know i just understand that that is a significant distinction in uh ireland that's the the line drawn in ireland yeah um yeah no uh so that's their form of racism right the 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 DECA executive they were like he's like you know they were they were super cool and charismatic but the band didn't have a lot going for them they were living in Ireland for a start <laughs> real I mean that form of uh, anti Irish bigotry persists he also said that their record sales um, wouldn't cover the boat fare from Ireland to England <laughs> so that they needed to move to England in order to not have to waste money on them taking a boat from Ireland to England <laughs> amazing so <laughs> so they moved to London. Um, they record an album. Eric Bell, who was the guitarist at the time, said, "I can't remember recording our album as I was so stoned." Um, sure, cool. Their uh, and their manager Ted Carroll said at this time, they said Phil always had star quality, but he was in no hurry. He knew he had to take his time and learn everything carefully. So he has a lot of charisma, but he's also very observant and very. Uh, trying to figure out how to play is, the longer game. Is this still the teen? Well, no, oh, the Phil, manager? Phil, they got a different manager. Okay, 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 okay. They upgraded when they signed to a label. They're like, they ditched the 17-year-old kid. Aww. Haven't heard of him since. Just kidding. I don't know where, what happened to At, him. That's, and that kid grew up to be Bono. <laughs> <laughs> that was a much better answer than whatever I was going to say. Uh, he's a, they're probably about a decade behind where Bono is. Bono is he, more like... He grew up to be the edge. <laughs> oh my god. Um, so they... They settle into this grind of like playing clubs and recording albums um, because they signed a certain uh, kind of deal. They get so behind on recording that um, Lina ended up giving Decca the names of songs that were yet to be written so they could produce artwork. <laughs> so he was like kind of calling his shot before uh, 
the uh, the songs actually get made. But their first hit single was Whiskey in the Jar. All right, should we uh, play a little bit of this? Please. I'd like to note that this is off 1972's Shades of a Blue Orphanage. So they really stuck with that name. They were Irish like, we got to love orphanages. They, we got to slug that in somewhere. Yeah. So this is Whiskey in a Jar. This was promoted by their manager by uh, sending little bottles of whiskey to various media luminaries, which I think is a great way to promote an album, and I don't know why they don't do that anymore. They do it with crystals now. Really? Yeah. No. Who got a crystal? I don't remember what movie it was for, but some movie uh, sent out, like, crystals as their press thing. I mean, but what kind of crystals? (laughs) Grounding? Energizing? Come on. I, I don't know. So this is a traditional Irish song that they reworked as a hard rock song. Yeah, which it's is kind about, of innovative. It's about robbing a cop and then your woman stabbing you in the back. Oh my God, the girl in this is named Molly. Yeah. I, I had a what I thought was a pretty solid tweet, because if we recall, I'm underrated on Twitter, uh, a tweet about how the characterization of Molly's have changed over time in songs. Um, and this was the OG Molly's, like the, the Irish lady who will just fuck you over. Yes. And now I'm just drugs. <laughs> it's um, been a fun trajectory for me. Musha rain dama da. That's the chorus, right? Yeah, yes. Anyway, it's a good. This, this song is a classic Irish song because it hits all the beats, uh, which is hating authority yeah. and uh, being a sad man whose love fucks him over. Yeah. And whiskey, of course. Oh, and then eventually, and then eventually drinking. <laughs> I'm gonna stay out of this one. <laughs> um, yeah, now, let, now let Molly some... and I play Irish identity, identity politics. Lo- love it. It's my fave. Yeah. Wow. Damn, Molly. Why you gotta do him like that? Nice. Anyway, this song notably covered by uh, Metallica. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you guys want to hear a little bit of that? Please. Uh, kind of a surprising choice for Metallica, but it really makes sense uh, when you hear it. I mean, I understand why they, they covered it. Stand and deliver. Anyway, There's, good. James Hetfield has some a little bit of Irish in him. Yeah, good riffs. Yeah. Um, it's it's their third album, which is called Vagabonds of the Western World, that shows uh, Lynette's diversity as a writer. Um, he the author references the rocker as a, a highlight. Can we cue that one up? Yeah. Here we go. You know, this is a little like what we were talking about with Alice Cooper, where you can kind of really hear that move from 60s to 70s. Yeah, yeah. Like, the last one was very, very uh, uh, still in the kind of, you know, songwriting tropes of the 60s, and this very much sounds like a hard rock song. Everything's getting a little harder. Nice. (laughs) I am your main man if you're looking for trouble. I take no lip, no one's 
His singing's a little more idiosyncratic. Mm-hmm. He's the titular rocker. He is the titular rocker. He's also a roller. The boys. He's already talking yeah. about the boys down at the juke joint. You know, I'm kind of hearing more like Hendrix in him yeah. in this song than before. That, yeah, it makes sense, right? Yeah. And even in the whole construction of the song, like that riffy uh, guitar with filled with the fills in between. Mm-hmm. I want to point out that. Uh, also on this album is a song called Cruising in the Lizzie Mobile. Really? Yeah. Do you want to hear it? You yeah, want to hear a few a bars snippet. of Cruising in the Lizzie Mobile? Then Lizzie got riffs, man. Yeah, yeah that fucking jams. Yeah, I'm glad we're all thinking of like that's. I feel like we should have said this earlier. Then Lizzie fucking jam. Yeah, they've got they've got great like sw- swinging, shuffling uh, drum beats on like almost every song. And that's that's I will say I think that's like a very underrated part of all music that becomes like very aggressively memed. Like yeah. mm-hmm. it has to be. Like I think people kind of like will sometimes get the wrong idea and thinking that everyone is like making fun of the song when it becomes this kind of like cultural reference point mm-hmm. yeah yeah but there are, I don't think there are any songs that become memes like that that don't fucking go yeah like yeah. smooth fucking rules yeah this song rules like that and boozy uh, rules uh, mm-hmm. uh the boys are back in town rules yeah the boys are back in town yeah, rules yeah. but this song also rules but yeah, yeah the boys are back in town rules like even something like all star like people yeah, wouldn't be talking goes. about all star 20 years no, later it, it was not goes. a fucking good jam right. yeah also, th- th- there's a reason that everyone makes fun of Nickelback, but it's not like a Nickelback song is one of these memed songs. It's, it's true. the concept well, of Nickelback as a whole. I look there at was this a photograph. Brief, there, yeah, there was a very brief. Yeah, there was a brief period. Of they have some good vines. Yeah. God. Damn. <laughs> I just fucking love to get in the Lizzie Mobile and just fucking cruise. Mm. Just hang out. They really sell it. Elbow out of the Lizzie Mobile with the Lizzie hair, Lizzie wind in my hair. The Lizzie wind in your in your Lizzie hair. That's the the sound of the Lizzie wind coming through. Hot damn, thin, thin Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Yes, it needed to be Thank said. You. Thank you. Um, yes. So they record that album. It's they're hitting their stride. Their guitarist quits. Gary Moore of Skid Row is brought in. Gary Moore quits. They bring in two guitarists. I don't know why they decided. Maybe they decided that they were um, losing a, them at such a clip that if they got two, they would lose them. They would them. have a spare. They would have a, no, an it air and a rules spare. to have two. Yeah. Well, that's the You're thing. Like, it does. Fuck you. We got two. Yeah. So Brian Robertson. Your band, one guitar. My band, two guitars. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you and your band are throwing out your guitarist and getting... Two, two guitars. guitars. Twelve, two 12-string guitars. Ooh, 24 strings. The more strings, the better, baby. Uh, Brian Robertson and Scott Gorham are, are brought in. Scott is American. Brian is Scottish. Um, 
Brian Robertson or Robbo, as he is called, he's a Robo. little Robbo. He's a little more brash and arrogant and guitar hero-y, and Scott Gorham is a little more reticent, experimental, noodly. Um, Sounds like a good combo. Uh, he was also sort of un, uneducated, untrained, uh, and he got a little bit better. And he said, "Now I know the minors and the majors and a lot of the technical crap that goes along with it." <laughs> so he doesn't give a f- uh, the. Thick strings go on the top, the thin strings go on the bottom. You put your finger further up the neck, makes a higher sound. Lower on the neck, makes a lower sound. Start playing. Thin Lizzie's on the top, thick Lizzie's on the bottom. Yep, that's how you play guitar. Yep, that's how you play the, the, the Lizzie. Anyway, they, this Wait. is their golden era, guys. This is like the golden era of Thin Lizard. It's the, the this lineup, I think, lasts the longest. They record the album Nightlife and then Fighting, which they say has fighting like, is fighting. a great album title, and it has the they what they say is like the worst their worst album cover ever, which is them trying to look tough in like these flared denim jeans. It's, it's not good. It's not good. Nightlife taken at a low angle. Nightlife has a good album album yes. cover if you want to look it up. Is um, that the one with like the illustrated cougar overlooking a a, a vast city system? under a moon? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. really good. Um, the the book also pointed out that that album art in fact rules. Um, <laughs> Ed note album art rules. Yes. So and then jail, jailbreak. This looks like a freaking Atari game cover. Yeah, it does. It looks great. It literally looks like it's like welcome to the dystopian future city where the only thing that'll save you is rock. <laughs> I'll also say that just in terms of Thin Lizzy imagery, yeah. Um, if you just Google image search Thin Lizzy live. Mm-hmm. And just scroll down through all the things. You're like, oh, this is what a rock band looks like. This is it's almost like the ideal generic image of a, a rock band playing. I'm guessing they those might be from. Oh yeah, like Live and Dangerous is their live yeah. album from a little bit later. Yeah, that picture is taken by an NME pho- photographer that they just hired away for the summer. <laughs> Once again, just people getting these sweet long term wow. jobs. He was. He basically said he's like, I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. And they're like, No, 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 no it's fine. Like, just call them and tell them that you're hanging out within Lizzie for the summer. Get, get in the Lizzie mobile. Um, but yes, they have amazing live photography. Uh, yeah, the, every <laughs> image of them looks great. Get and nerds, um, we're going rocking. And uh, uh, Phil, every image of Phil uh, looks amazing. He yeah, his image and his presentation, hair, his mustache, is it's great. Just is fantastic. The shirts he wears. Oh yeah, he's. I kind of got a. Maybe I'm wrong, and if I, if I'm wrong, we definitely have to edit this out. But like, is anyone getting a like? If Prince got really into metal vibe from yeah. him a little no, bit, no, I think that's. I think that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I. This is probably a very obvious thing to. to he's kind of got a little Freddie Mercury things. about him too. Yeah, and like the face shape and stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's got a good. He's got a good look. The look is 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 fantastic. Strong. Yeah. So during this golden age, uh, Phil said, "It's it's not a god given right to make it and for everybody to be a star. I know why I'm in it, and I know the risks and chances I'm taking, and I know I can always get a job, <laughs> and I know I can taken. always fuck off on a boat to sea." <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Take to sea. If Phil fails at the rock star dream, he can always just uh, become a, a seaman. Why was he in it? Why why was Phil in it? Yeah. So Phil wanted to be, he has a lot of charisma. He has a lot of creative talent. He's a poet. He's a, a writer. Um, and so his battle kind of throughout his tenure with Thin Lizzy is like, do I, am I a commercial hard rocker who pleases the crowds by just rocking real hard and looking real cool? Or it, do I make 
more intellectual, cerebral music, like that taps into the vast like the history Velvet of Underground Irish or some shit. and like Irish like storytelling. I'm I'm imagining. I mean, this is definitely maybe wrong, but I'm literally imagining the like process behind like every Led Zeppelin song about like Lord of the Rings <laughs> being like alright like we definitely should make like some bangers but also who wants to talk about Elrond yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think he's he's kind of like a he, he's got the soul of a poet and the the, the swagger of a of a, of rock a hard star. rockman yeah of a hard rock poet yeah yeah, yeah. So uh, I think he, he's struggling with how to present that in a here's a uh, suicide off of fighting yeah. this is in their two guitar lineup and I think that it's also just that the fact that the song that the song is called Suicide uh, you know it taps into like m- more dramatic subject matter mm-hmm. uh, you know illustrates that that two-sided yes nature of him it's not all you know Dino's Bar and Grill not all fun and games I mean, this is like tough bar band music, but there's a little more going on in the uh, in the lyrics than mm-hmm. you know just being bad to the bone. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and he he eventually kind of branches off, which is something I don't think mainstream uh, music fans ended up hearing because it wasn't what Thin Lizzy was popular for. But you know, getting more into like uh, poppier stuff and R and B and smoother things. And I think he was he had more eclectic taste, but. The world loved them for being rockers. I will say that once we get into this era, Thin Lizzy loves just playing two guitars at the same time. The reason they play the way they do is that that twin guitar sound specifically. Yeah. Uh, Robbo, Robbo was playing and someone flipped a delay button and he started harmonizing with himself accidentally. Yeah. And then they said, what I've if we just did that but on purpose? So it's like inventing the goddamn chocolate chip cookie. Wait, was were chocolate chip cookies an accident? Potato chips were. I think both of them were. Someone sliced a potato too thin. Whoops, got a chip. Whoops, got myself a chip. Uh, anyway, yeah, that, that's, not, that's where the twin twin guitars come from. It sounds really good, but it also is just funny to be like, we're going to have two guitarists, and they're both going to play the exact same thing at all times. But just a couple steps apart. Yeah. Um, they in 1975 uh, they tour America. They are opening for uh, what I think is a fantastic bill: Bachman Turner Overdrive and Bob Seger. Yes, yeah. And I, I, I was reading a little bit of their Wikipedia page, and that bill really helped me put them in context yes. of like what their music is. Those are their like BTO, and they cover a Bob Seger song on this. Uh, Rosalie is a Bob Seger, oh, they Seger do? song. Great. Um, cool. Yes. Uh, Great. That that bill is just a screaming billboard for 1975. Yeah. It is extremely 1975 on this tour. Um this is the same this is the era that brings us the those beautiful boys, those beautiful rowdy boys, the boys are back in town. This yeah, started I was gonna ask uh yeah, what do they do next? When are these boys coming back in town? Um it started as a song about a Vietnam War vet called GI Joe is back. And then they were like, wow, this sucks. Let's change it. Um, they actually weren't even going to put it on the album. A bit of a bummer, isn't it, Phil? <laughs> they were going to put it on the album. And then their uh, other manager at the time, Chris O'Donnell, was like, why don't you guys record that one? It's pretty good. And I can't remember which member of the band was reporting this, but they said, this is probably a great case for not letting artists pick their own songs. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry. Did you say Chris O'Donnell? Chris O'Donnell. Not... 
I assume it's a different Chris O'Donnell. Than the guy who plays uh, <laughs> yes. the guy in Batman? Yes. He was like six years old at the time. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, we know that they have a history with younger managers. <laughs> All I'm saying. Get them early. They're the, the most pure taste the younger they are. What, what is what is Batman and Robin if not a film about two boys being back in town? Oh, my God. That's <laughs> so true. In that great town called Gotham. Yeah. The town, Gotham. The oh. boys... Batman and Robin. The bat. The bat is back in town. The bat is the back. The boys in are town. bat. Are bats in town? <laughs> <laughs> oh, those wild-eyed bats! <laughs> those wild, rabid bats. Uh, yeah. So, do we want to queue up this? Guys, are we glorious ready? composition? We've gone forty-six minutes, and now it's time. If, time for the boys. If you've never heard the boys are back in town before, call a loved one. Have someone hold your hand. Yeah. Take a couple shots of whiskey. <laughs> Just, yeah. There's okay. whiskey in the jar, oh baby. Eat a, eat a plate, of, plate of chicken wings. Get Make ready. Sure. Prepare your body. <laughs> You're ready. Spiritually. Here we are. The boys. They're back in town. You know what? You can really tell that the front man is the bassist yeah. from some of the lines. Oh, yeah. This is a. This, would this predate Bruce Springsteen by a few years? In, in, he would just be starting. In, yeah, the, in the sort of like tales of working class yeah. uh, boys just hanging out, getting their kicks. I wouldn't be surprised if Finn Lizzy is influenced Bruce Springsteen. I'm sure that I'm sure that these Thin Lizzy records were in his record collection. Yes. It's actually funny you mentioned that because we actually have here coming on as a special guest on the program, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting I'm getting word from Bruce's publicist that he uh, <laughs> was not able to make it. I'm, I was waiting for you to bust <laughs> out, <laughs> Bruce, no, I'm not, bust I'm not out your. Uh, I can't do that. I am introducing. I was. I wonder. I, I wonder, hadn't thought of doing. Songs about working class men until I heard about these boys. Tom Waits. Tom Waits is definitely into Thin Lizzy, though, right? Oh yeah, because that's also pretty contemporaneous, I think. Like, when were the, the first like Tom Waits albums were a little after this? No, before. Really? Yeah. Closing time is seventy three. Um, this song rules. Like, yeah, this it is, is just a. His cadence in those verses, where it's like between is. Um, spoken and sung um, that it's very like non-traditional like sung lines is great it, it's Eric you just did this in karaoke you, t- you told me in preparation oh I did I was about to ask when everyone did it the la- I did I did this at karaoke uh, we're recording on a Tuesday I did it on Thursday and it was if I'm remembering correctly the last song of the night oh, Ooh, which was very closing good time. It's, a good, it's a good closer um but it, it's probably deceptively hard because those lines are really long and they have their own, like, it, you know, it, it's not like every word on a beat or every other beat. It's, I will say, it's wild up, boys, we're back today. The first, I want to say three times I did the boys are back in town at karaoke, 
I was like, hell yeah, time to do the boys are back in town. And it's the kind of song that you get up to do and then you're like, oh. Wait, how's this song go? No, 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 no. I knew I knew the lyrics, but like actually doing them effectively not going to be as good in front of especially if you're doing it in a, a, a bar karaoke. Yeah. Um a, a fact I originally discovered with the Outcast classic Roses. Mm. Very grateful that nobody uh is still alive who remembers that. <laughs> um, you, you had to murder them all. I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> but the last time we talked about this was for Eminem, where people, you think that you know Eminem songs really well, but you, they're yeah, much you, harder you than you know. think they, yeah. they think they are. Actually, this this same night, I tried to do uh, Miss Independent. And I Kel got Clarkson? Really, oh, yeah. Oh, and I, wow. got really, I got really excited about it, but then I finished and my friend was like, no, you guys were just like two drunk dudes trying to do Miss Independent karaoke, which was one of the meanest things anyone has said to me in the last several weeks. Oh, no. Yeah, it was rough. I mean, but to, also accurate. To be fair, Kelly Clarkson's songs are actually almost literally impossible to sing, just straight up. She's, I mean, she's, she's a genius. A, she's a freak. All right. She's a genius. It's just like... Underrated. Just like riffs and yelling about boys and barb fights and yeah. what like else do we it's need? just like everything that you want in a quote rock song. But let me say that this song does an interesting thing, similar to the the boyification that we were talking about earlier of making things both uh, infantilized and uh, disconnected from actual. Uh, responsibility by calling things boys is that by writing a song about the boys, but you are not the boys. Yes. He is boyifying <laughs> his own song. It's not like, Hey bitch, I'm the boys back in town. I'm going to fuck up your life. He's like, Oh, those crazy boys. Yeah. Not me. Of course. This song no, is not he, about me. He's narrating the boys. Yeah. Yes. These boys are a third party. Although if he, if it was just called the boys back in town, you would assume it was about him that he would be the titular boy. Depends. That's okay. That is actually like it's much better that it's multiple, like a crew of boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this song, like, like, because there are so the many. The boy is back in town feels like a threat. <laughs> that it feels like either a threat or like. Justin honestly, Timberlake rebranding. Yeah, or, again. Or, or like or like a romantic ballad from the early 80s. Yeah. Of like the, yeah, oh, the boy. Hall and Oates. Yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wonder, uh, honestly, Man of the Woods might as well be called The, the Boy is Back, back in, in Town. The boy is back in the woods. <laughs> the boy, he's back from the woods. He's back from he, the woods. He was in town. He was the Justin Timberlake of mirrors. Yeah. Or whatever. He had to go to the woods for a little bit. And now the man of the woods, the boy is, is back in town. That's right, everybody. He's returned. It's time for the Trolls 2 soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go after the Trolls 1 soundtrack. I just had to go find myself in the woods so that I could come back and do the Trolls 2 <laughs> soundtrack. <laughs> a little older, a little wiser, a little more mature, a little more rustic. A little, a little more, more Trolls. Yeah, damn <laughs> I got scooped. <laughs> <laughs> a little more trolls. <laughs> a little less conversation. A little more trolls. <laughs> the original oh, title no. of this song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A little less well, rock, a little more troll. <laughs> a little more boys, a little less hole. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. A little more boys, oh. a, a little more boys, a little less town. No, the the boy the boys the boys hole is perfect for this. The boys hole. Um, Gotta play the troll toll. I I I so I, I don't want to step on step on our is is this the time where we should ask uh, our metaphysical questions about the boys of Reagan Town? Um, oh yes, Eric, you do have many metaphysical. Yeah, well, questions. so I have okay. a specific. Okay, all right, give it, give some context to this. Yeah, so basically, um, if you didn't get this from the intro, uh, I. 
host this show that kind of is about taking very silly things very seriously and very uh, and and vice versa. Vice versa, I think, is actually the technical Latin pronunciation. Vice versa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Versa. Jesus. Um, and uh, a friend of mine and I, uh, who was planning on on doing the show, um, that sort of was. Uh, the theme was patriarchy. It was on International Women's Day of uh, March 2017 and had been planning on doing a talk uh, investigating w- what it meant for the boys to be in town kind of as – if I'm remembering this correctly, the original incarnation was reading the boys in, are back in town as kind of a synecdoche for toxic masculinity. Nice. Um and we had this really exciting, like, very kind of emergent, generative, uh, intellectually fascinating phone conversation about Dinos. Uh, <laughs> and kind of, like, be, like talking through, like... And we actually talked about a lot of the things that we talked about earlier uh, in, in this episode of the pod- uh, podcast about kind of, like, the boys being able to return to town as this, like, safe space for them to engage in their their kind of, like, twisted uh version of masculinity <laughs> because the only the only woman who who is even identified in the boys are back in town is the woman who slaps johnny's face yes um and i think we can be left to assume the reasons why she slapped mm-hmm, johnny's mm-hmm. face um but my my friend um uh splinter uh politics reporter emma roller she's very good you should read her work uh, uh former slate yeah uh I forget what her position uh, up, was there, but my former colleague as well. Uh, ended outs. up not being able to make the show, and my friend uh, Katie Drell, who also is fantastic, um, ended up doing kind of taking this kernel and spinning it out into this very, very beautiful uh, presentation titled The Boys, Are They Back in Town? An Investigation. Um, I don't know, do you guys have questions that you want to ask me about this. I don't know if you want me to just kind of go into a summary of kind of the findings that we got to. We did a, we had a very intense three hours of research, uh, that went <laughs> I, to yeah, give us some of the highlights. Some, and I'm, I specifically findings. am interested in the metaphysical thing that I sure. teased earlier. Well, so, so sort of just to set the, the stage, we kind of started with identifying things that we, you know, we know if you look at the lyrics of the boys are back in town about the boys and about town, um, because the, the only things we know about the boys are they're wild-eyed, they've been away, mm-hmm. they were asking about you, whoever the song was being sung to, um, they frequent Dino's Bar and Grill, and they're back in town. Those are the only things that we know. Uh, you know, we know town has that that chick, the one who slaps Johnny's face. We know that. But what we don't know is the town is a model of the patriarchy. Um, and kind of... I, very much the lyrics of the boys are back in town is about giving the boys permission to engage in uh boyish behavior. Yes. If the boys yes. want to fight, you better let them. Yes. Gotta. Cause yeah. What, what else are you supposed to do? You can't tell the boys not to fight. It's going to be easier just to let the boys if, fight. If that chick don't want to know, forget her because she's not worth knowing if she doesn't want to know. And I assume we can safely yes. say no in the, in the biblical sense. Yes. Um, <laughs> Which actually means receiving uh, – if, if the chick does not want to receive your tablets at the top of a mountain <laughs> yeah. and kind of bring them back down to the people, yeah. forget her. She's not worth knowing and she's not worth remembering, which is why or part of why uh, there are no identified female characters in, in this song. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of this like perpetual loop ends up playing out of boys leaving town in order to find their fortunes and, you know, find their first families. And then they have second families that are back in town and they go on this loop until 
they become the old men who are being driven crazy. Mm. And kind of th- that is this very well played out life path uh, that you can live on if you're a boy, but that you can't if you're you're not a boy. Uh, mm-hmm. From which Katie concluded, the boys are never not in town. They actually are all perpetually. They're sort yeah. of and and I, I born kind of, back ceaselessly into town. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, which I remember who did. That's a good who did that one. Um, but but that that sort of in in the you know if if I was gonna kind of say this in the, the cadence of my favorite slash like least favorite pop academic, the boys are in a <laughs> perpetual state of returning to the town. <laughs> They are never out of the town, but never are they in the town. They are in a liminal state. <laughs> they are in a liminal state of leaving the town and returning. That was my Zizek. It was a very bad it's good, Zizek. It's good. It's good. But I'm just, yeah. Uh, thank you, Slavoy, um, for giving me those vocal, vocal lessons. Uh, the Slavoys are back in town. The Slavoy. There we go. Yeah, uh, yeah and, and I like the part of that that, again, the thing that I keep coming back to, that the the town does not exist outside of the narrative of the of the boys. That it only exists to perpetuate their actions and to give them permission that the entire universe is a permission for the boys' uh, behavior. Um, which I think if you like actually read through, it's kind of like, oh, forgive these guys. You know, boys are going to be rowdy. But then it's like an entire universe of like, well, boys are going to be rowdy. And if you really like tease out the consequences of that, it's like, oh, this is a horrible world where we're constantly being plagued by these rowdy boys that we can't control and have ceded any semblance of control to mm-hmm. it's like it's uh, the a world envisioned by the boys are back in town is this hell society well, papered it, over by this rosy picture boys will be boys picture it's it's funny i like literally as you were saying that i had this vision of like human civilization for most of human civilization. Yes, exactly. Right, of, like, of like the hunter-gathering party goes out, yeah, yeah. and, the, like, the boys leave town, and they return with, like, an animal carcass, or they're, like, soldiers, or knights, or whatever, yeah. and they, they leave town and go do whatever boy stuff they're gonna do, and then they return to town, which kind of, for these particular boys who manage to live in the state of boydom, allows them to kind of throw off... Um, and evade the responsibilities of always being in town. Yeah. And, that, they and always like, further from responsibilities, like social contracts. Not even social. Con- I mean, I'm even thinking like raising the next generation of boys, or like right, like well, I, the, I, or even deeper, like being nice or decent yes. to each other to other humans. Yes, the boys do not need to be men; they need to be people. Yes, uh, which I think kind of leads into boom. Bazinga. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite uh, tweets about the boys are back in town, which is uh, from uh, Everett Byram. That's at rad underscore milk. <laughs> Don't, do, I do love the rad milk. Mm. Don't assume someone's gender just because they're back in town. <laughs> which I think is a very good distillation of yeah. the, what we yeah. were just talking about. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. It's, it's let people... Everybody deserves a time in their life when they get to be back in town, but also you can't live your entire life perpetually being back in town. A thin, a thin Lizzie Rumspringa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> God, I mean, this is that's like a big talking point of welcome to the serious zone of men's right, like men's rights activists is like yeah, talking yeah. about a crisis of boys yeah, and yeah. talking about like and even there's a f- fucking. Um, 
like the New York Mag cover package a couple weeks oh, ago yeah, yeah. was like how to raise a boy in America. Mm, the problem with boys. Uh, boys. Yeah, and, and America that, has boy problems. Who's got um uh and, and but <laughs> but that 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 because that narrative I I um one time went to what I think was the only, hopefully only, men's rights activist convention to, to cover it mm-hmm. um, for a story that never ended up getting published. But, like, that oh. was the big thing that everyone there was talking about. And I, uh, one of the email lists that I got signed up for in the process of, like, covering this, I am still signed up for because I find it really fascinating to, like, read. And it's all, the emails are always, like, here's what we can do about the crisis of like what it's like to raise boys. And like, like the reason that, I mean, they, they blame welcome to double serious mode. They blame school shootings on the fact that like boys are not being raised well enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that that becomes this constant like town is this constant thing that can absorb whatever you throw at it. Yeah. The concept of the boy is such that it is always innocent and blameless. Yeah. And always like, can mean whatever you want it to be. And the be. thing that needs to be fixed is always the town. Yeah. Wow. Holy shit. Yes, yes, yes. This is what I wanted from this episode. The boys, the town. What do we talk about when we're talking about the boys being back in town? There's a lot going on in this song, and that's why it's resonant. The all, you know, 40 years later. Yeah. It, on this like online community, because it's like something about the joke, the idea of boys coming back into town is like deeply Jungian or resonant on like a Jungian level, you know, of, of like huge archetypes that are somehow shifting, like crashing, like huge, uh, uh, icebergs knocking into each other in our subconscious. If you still have your bingo cards out, you can cross off Jungian right now. I think that might be the first time I've brought up Jung on the po- podcast. Yeah, so, we're uh, Freudians here usually. So. Yes, it's true. You can cross off psychoanalysis. Okay, yeah, I'll, put that, I'll put that on the list. That's fair. So what happens after the boys are back in town, Molly? So we're in their continued golden era, but, you know, things are starting to fray at the seams. They're struggling to break America. Um, Phil gets hepatitis C right before their, the first or the, the first headlining tour they're doing by themselves, um, which Whoops. is real inconvenient. Yes, not not great. I think it's the more I think it's the doing too much kind of hepsy and not the like intravenous drugs. Hep-C. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a difference. Not, not being too too dirty. Yeah, he just got he really got tired. Um and then Robbo got into a fight and he uh someone slashed his hand with a bottle or stabbed his hand with a bottle. Which sounds like something out of the boys are back in yes. town. Yes. Um and so he, he can't he, play the boys anymore. are back in town himself. So uh that that tour kind of gets a little fucked up. And then uh, Scott Gorham says, that's when the Class A stuff started to creep in. Chopping out a line of Coke along with your Jack Daniels. A couple of egos now are getting out of whack. So we're getting into the like more behind the music territory. So maybe this is a rude question. <clears throat> they weren't they like weren't doing a ton of Coke before this? They were doing they were drinking a lot and smoking a lot of pot. But, but now no they're coke. doing cocaine. But is not, that a money thing or just a like I would imagine it was a money thing and uh like Lifestyle thing. Okay. Like but now they're, now they're getting into yeah, rock star yeah. territory where they have, I don't think they ever had a ton of money, but they had enough to start to like develop a coke habit to, to bring them um, powders of different I, That's a lot of, I don't, I mean, 
that is a non-zero sum of being like, yeah, like one of my main expenses on mint.com this month is like sending, <laughs> so getting, getting like Coke postmated to my dressing room. <laughs> it's in the rider. Right. Um, they go, they finally get to America. They hire Gary Moore, the guy who quit last time. They hire him back. They go on tour with Queen. Uh, this oh, is a tour damn. that the author Good says. fucking show. He says this Good. is the sort of thing. I would thing, love to see that. It's the sort of thing you jot down during boring college lessons under great tours I would like to see. <laughs> do, you, do you think anyone went to one of those shows and didn't fuck afterward? <laughs> <laughs> or like in the bathroom at the show? Oh my God. That was pro- yeah. It's probably a f- wild show. Queen Lizzie. Um, Dang. Also, around this time, they pull in the producer, Tony Visconti, to produce their album, Bad Reputation. Uh, Tony is a martial arts master, and he trains in the studio basement every morning. That's right. He's mixing uh, the spiritual art of martial arts with commerce. Is that that what mixed martial arts means? (laughs) (laughs) It means martial arts and uh, sound engineering. Let me reiterate, you never mix the spiritual arts of martial arts with commerce. Yeah. That's a lesson you, you that are learned. you are always saying that. That's a lesson we learned in episode 1 of Van Introducing yeah. from Duff McKagan. It's you just better to keep them separate. It sounds like they had an okay producing experience with Tony Visconti, but like I would just keep that keep them separated. Also did uh did they release their album Bad Reputation the same year that the Joan Jet album came out? I don't I don't know. Anyway, let's listen to some Bad Reputation. Everyone's, you know, Everyone's obsessed with their reputations. Not like now when no one has an album called Reputation or sings constantly about their reputation. <laughs> See, like they're Ooh, they're evolving, dope. yeah. Whoa, yeah. So the funny thing about this time is that punk has broke. Yes. Which makes Thin Lizzy, uh, as the author says, almost old fashioned. In like it, a year. And it took a year for them to be like the hottest, nowest thing to being uh, old fashioned for liking things like knowing how to play your instruments and double and guitar melodies. harmonies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Phil starts making friends with punks because he wants to still be with it. He's like a strategic guy. He's also a cool dude. He is a cool dude. People want to hang out with Phil. Yeah. This the cover like not to harp too much of co- on covers in this, but the cover of Bad Reputation looks like a punk album cover. Yeah, uh, I think they're borrowing from that. Yeah, aesthetic it almost sure. looks like Combat Rock or something. Well, it it, uh, it, it aesthetically borrows from something and like Combat Rock. They were still based out of London at this time, right? So yes. that yeah. would make sense. Yep. Um, I could imagine like the Clash and Thin Lizzy being buds. Yeah. They, have, they seem to have similar interests. Hello, it's me, Joe Strummer, here to talk to you about me friends, Thin Lizzy. <laughs> that's a, that's, 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 why, that's, that's why Joe your classic Joe Strummer. Yeah, Strummer and friends? My classic Joe Strummer for The Strumcast. Hello. <laughs> Hello. It's Joe Strummer. Hello, it's me, Joe, Hello, it's Joseph me. Strummer. <laughs> Um, Bad Reputation doesn't really hit with audiences. They don't get a big song out of it. So the author wonders uh, if this was something of a watershed moment for Phil. Was this the moment when he realized he could not be accepted as a singer-songwriter in the style of his hero, Van Morrison? Uh, <laughs> did he realize... I forgot that Van Morrison was like a big, hero. big yeah. uh, influence. Did he realize that his lot in life was to be a hard rock star, a writer of great songs, but without the crossover to appeal to that intelligentsia he so craved? If he had had that acceptance, would he kept his drug indulgence in check? Mm. Um, he has no. He had no idea. That's what. 
That's what the internet is. <laughs> he did it. Yeah. Yeah. He, it took him, you know, 40 years in the <laughs> advent of a, of a platform designed basically just to vomit your thoughts in text form on and the internet. God. But Thank God. But, yeah, he, he's made it. The acceptance from the intelligentsia he's finally craved. Um, he starts using heroin. So Oof. does Scott Gorham. Um, uh, recording, they start. They go to Paris to record, and he says, Phil loves being so popular. Yeah, come on in, Francois. What have you got for me tonight? All right. Is that the... That's um, Gorham making fun of uh, Phil for him loving having drug dealers around. Par- Parisian heroin hawks. Yeah. Um. Robbo, the guy who got his hand cut up for getting into a bottle fight, he gets kicked out. Gary Moore is brought back. Oh, th- wait, no. Gary Moore... Yes. Is this his third time back? The boy is back in town. Yes. Gary, Gary Moore, is. this is his third time back. He's been playing with this, um, uh, <laughs> like a jazz combo called Coliseum. <laughs> and shockingly, for- it's not making any money. <laughs> so, uh, he's back. It's 1979. And guess what? Jazz is not a moneymaker. <laughs> um, and then he leaves again after people start using drugs. So this is his third time quitting. He says, I'd done all my drugs between the ages of 16 and 19. He was over it. Uh, it's just a short window. Yes. They bring in another guitarist. His name is Midge Ur. U-R-E. Yeah. He's this Midge, Midge Ur. He's, okay. So before we start recording, I went to the, the Thin Lizzy Wikipedia page and yeah. did some perusing just so I had some good background information. Mm-hmm. And noticed that they have... One of the longest li- lists of associated members I've ever seen on a Wikipedia page. It's enormous, page. yeah. It's huge. And every single one of them is a linked profile of a notable, notable musician. You're you almost exclusively guitarists. <laughs> and, Except for like one drummer. Yeah. And it's it's like 20 guys. They all have Wikipedia pages. They're all like big session guys mm-hmm. or like switch guys um, between bands in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Yep. Uh, they're... I hit and Midge's profile was the one I randomly clicked on to be like, are all these guys have real jobs? <laughs> and yeah, I, was, I clicked in, saw randomly that he was like a big new wave guitar guy in London in mm-hmm. the eighties. Yeah. This is like, he, he was brought in as their, Eno. that's, that's, <laughs> that's how he was referred to was like, you can be kind of like our sort of producer sound shaper. You've, you've touched a synthesizer before, right? You've looked at one. <laughs> Um, he's, he himself says he's the worst guitarist Finn Lizzie ever had. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a twiddly diddly guitarist. Oh, that's how I feel about my guitar playing. Can't, can't get those twiddly diddlies. Um, Phil are you, married. are you looking at the list right now? It's I an impressively it's, long list. It's of- like, it's like polyphonic spree size. <laughs> yeah. It's like 20 different guys who have all played guitar for Thin Lizzie who are all notable guitar players in their own right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they pick talented people just not anyone who's consistent. It's the say. rare band where the rhythm section is the soul and drive continually driving creative yes. force of the band. How is there? How is the, okay? If you are extremely into dad music, don't yell at me about this. How is there a person named Snowy White <laughs> who played with both Thin Lizzy and Pink Floyd? Pink Floyd. He's a Pink Floyd touring guitarist, and they bring him in toward the and end of Thin that Lizzy. That sounds okay. extremely And in his Wikipedia page, which I really strongly recommend that you look at, his photo looks like he's wearing scrubs. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he just like is a dude trying to wear clothing, he just looks like he's wearing scrubs. I lo- oh. 
Oh, yeah, I like that a lot. He looks cool. Anyway, uh, Phil gets married in 1980 to the daughter of TV celebrity Leslie Cra- Crowther. Crowther. Um, in his father, the bride speech, he tells the uh, crowd that when Phil asked for his daughter's hand in marriage, he said, "You've had every other part of her. You might as well have her hand as well." Gross. He, they had a kid like a year before they got married. Unchill. <laughs> uh, kind of weird. Um, they bring in Snowy White uh, because Midge, I guess, didn't work out. And Phil also records a solo album called Solo in Soho, which is the most 80s solo album <laughs> title of all time. Uh, can we can we hear some of that? So maybe pull up something besides what I want to listen to first, because I think this is going to be embarrassing, but he has a rap song on this called Talk in 79. No. Oh, no. Yeah. Let's, no. Maybe let's just hear it. Cause, like, he, Sweetie. He starts kind of losing his way as, like, a creative person. Okay, but actually, also, point. also like, that honestly could be dope, <laughs> though. No, 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 no. I'm actually, I'm going to fucking put, wait, when, is, what year is this? Uh, the, the, the album came on, like, 80, and this was recorded in 79. Wait, real? That's really early. Yeah, it's like it's like I that's kind of dope. What actually, rap was yeah. Was actually, I retract. I retract that. Oh, sweet, that's very dope. <laughs> Especially, yeah. Doesn't all mean right, it's all right, good. All right, all right. Let's see. Let's see if we can get a little bit of this. Oh, she's just showing off those bass chops. Solo. The crash. We're headed for a head-on collision. Crash. Complete control. Is this gonna be dope? Yeah, this rules. This kind of sounds like LT, early LT sound system. Sure. What's wild is that he has an Irish accent when he talks, but not when he sings. Okay, this definitely fucking rules. What, does this feel like a rap album though? It definitely feels like a, a rap, rap, like record. a rap song from like late seventies, early eighties. When you hear about it, and you're like, oh, so it's kind of like people talking over a beat. I can do that. I mean, how like this is not that far removed from Fab Five Freddy. Told me everybody's fly. <laughs> it's more just like a solo bass song with like a, a cool breakbeat behind it. But that is that is like that's like late seventies rap, like for sure. Like that is actually like absolutely fucking pure, like comic accurate. No, this is like him reading rap and being like, okay, this is rhythmic talking over a hyper rhythmic bass drum beat. Like that's the essential nature of rap. Versus people reading rap at the time, and it being like, being like, people talking everywhere, I'm talking on every note, this is the thing that I, like, that's what, like, early, yeah. Yeah, our names are Thin oh, Lizzy. Rocky Horror. Our names are Thin Lizzy, yeah, and we're, we're here, here to say. Boys are back in town. In a major <laughs> way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, this, this was characterized as embarrassing in the book, but I actually don't think this is embarrassing. Yeah, wow. I'm going to, like, wow. The author is incorrect well, I think on this. It, yeah, this, I, I this think is very good. It's more that he he gets what the thing is that rap is, or, or this era of hip-hop is, more than most people who are parroting the, like, structural the, traits of it. Which is what Aerosmith did, like, yes. a decade the, and a half the, later to... Horrible results. The final, I wanted to, my final word on this song is that. Wait, listen to this thing that's going on now. 
like a jam at the end of here. Yeah, it's a, oh, yeah. It's a fucking breakdown. Like, that this absolutely, you could imagine being used in like a late 90s, early aughts movie to indicate that someone has good taste in music. Yes. And they played it in the background of a scene. And I mean that actually as a compliment. Yeah. This like, also... Very much like in the fucking like... Um, I was going to say West, but there's like a more specific like... What's the the nineties like New York one? Party Girl. No. <laughs> That's what I was thinking too. Shout out to Party well, Girl. Y- you know what this reminds me of? This sounds like it could be on the soundtrack to Downtown Eighty One. That sure. Uh, yes. Yes. That yes. Movie with John Jean Michel Basquiat and uh, and Co. Of just being like cool urban sounds. <laughs> the next album is called Renegade. They added a keyboard player because it was the eighties. <laughs> Uh, Tight. But their drugs are a serious part of the band at this point, specifically Scott Gorham and Phil. Um, just a lot of heroin. They did a gig in Japan, and Scott remembers uh, Phil turning, ar- turning around and looking at me with this painful, painful look, almost as if he was sobbing in a way. I thought, holy shit, man, this is so over. So, like, there's... The- then Lizzie came at such a strange time because they were very now, and then they were very you know, punk happened and then punk was immediately over and the punk 80s, happened for one summer summer. I'll say that over and over on this. Yeah. Yeah. They, especially, I feel like we, we heard about this in, um, the John Oates memoir too. Just like once the eighties happened, it also careened into excess so fast. Mm-hmm. It was as if everyone had like a meeting. It was like, so the eighties are going to be really crazy, right? <laughs> like, can we all just act like fucking maniacs together? Okay, good. Cool. Meeting adjourned. And then this happened. So drugs are drugs basically kind of take over the band, and they is, break the up. pressure will blow off of 1981's Renegade. The pressure will blow. Still sounds good. Still sounds good. But I guess it just doesn't have a place. I mean, they're try- are they trying to be metal? Are they mm-hmm. hard rock? It's not new wave. I don't know. So yeah. Too much. It's too much in the 80s. Yeah, immediate excess. So they break up. Um, their last gigs as a band are at the festivals um, at Monsters of Rock in 1983. <laughs> and then the, is it, I don't know, how, British people are so strange. Is it the Reading Festival? Reading? I believe it's. I don't I, know. I don't know. Anyway, eight, 1983, they're over. Uh Scott Gorham actually gets sober. He basically realizes that he's going to die if he doesn't stop doing drugs. He pulls himself away from music, from the band, from everybody. He's like, I need to get away from all these people who are enabling this addiction and just go completely away from everything that I know. Phil doesn't do that. Um, He starts a band called Grand Slam. Um, Never really gains traction because the recording is super erratic. Um, there's some weird stuff with the record label, predictably. Um, he, he, they're trying to record in America, and he has lost his passport so many times that Ireland is like, we're not giving you another one of those. <laughs> like, straight up, that's a thing that they can do there. Um, and then he falls into really, really poor physical health. Um, he's busted for drugs, like, several times by the cops. And then in 1985, he dies of pneumonia and heart failure caused by persistent drug use. So... He uh, dr- drug uses himself into a death by pneumonia. Yes. Wow. 
That's a really his re- his respiratory system gets like super fucked. Basically, did anyone ask whether he had AIDS? That's a good question. It just, wasn't just as a like as a like an IV drug thing in yeah, like the yeah. mid eighties and like dying from pneumonia, like and with abscesses and shit. Like, yeah, that it was not asked or mentioned in the book, but it's possible. I mean, if no one if no one has like tried to, it like probably is not the case. It's mm-hmm. just like that. I guess would be my first. No, that totally checks out though. Yeah, um, and then a very rapid sudden decline yeah but he's always been at like you know at the age of like 35 36 he's 36 um i i wouldn't think it would be like out of the question i also just think that his health was never amazing like he got hepatitis c early on in his career i think he had really bad asthma it just sounds like he was not necessarily in the the peak physical condition anyway and then using heroin just made everything way worse so it wasn't an overdose but yeah um, i mean it yeah and he was also like very much I think his bandmates and people he circulated with in the music world all knew, but he lied to his mom until basically the end of his life about doing drugs. He said he didn't. And he lied to the journalist. Very, very as well. Irish. So Wait, he lied to this journalist who was embedded within Lizzie. For how long? So yeah. How long can you be embedded with somebody and not realize that they're doing heroin? He remembers. He said, I remember I had a conversation with Phil back when he was first getting into drugs. So this was like around the time, you know, 76 or 77. Uh, he said, I don't condone drugs, but I know artists take drugs. They want they take them to experience, to go to the edge. People always want to go to extremes, and if you go to the edge, you must be prepared to fall off. Now, lest you are mistaken, I myself don't take drugs. That uh, um, reminds me very similar to what Anthony Kiedis said about his drug use, of just like wanting to basically see God, <laughs> of like you want to go hard and go all the way. Um, I don't know, man. I it's like it sucks. He's, there's a big statue of him in Dublin. Yeah, which is <laughs> that actually dope. that is very good. It's like pretty sweet. I'm uh, pretty sure it's basically just him and James Joyce who are allowed to get statues. Uh, it's it. really sad, and it's also just like he he just like tailspins and decline. It sounds like for like the entirety of the 80s mm-hmm. because this guy's obviously a hyper talented, hyper charismatic dude mm-hmm. who has the force of, like to keep this kind of band together. That's like all these rotating guitarists. That's just your force of of creative will. Yeah, he wrote most of the songs. He produced like several 10, albums. Yeah, for like ten albums suit. over a decade. You know, mm-hmm. he, this is a ton of content. They're like a classic, almost band. Like they're almost all the right things in mm-hmm. all the right places. They like should have hit hard when they were hitting when they're touring with Bachman Turner Overdrive or Bob Seger. Like mm-hmm. that is like an all star lineup. And yet, and yet something didn't quite click because they were either too, you know, late and slightly different to hop on the Led Zeppelin type train of hard rock or too early to get into the the more heavy metal hair metal thing of the 80s. Like, they're like, it's, it feels like they're like two years off. Yeah. For the right thing. And their one right place at the right time was boys are back in town. Mm -hmm. And then everything else is just like not quite there but i was also listening to some of their live stuff and they're just like they sound like a phenomenal live band yeah they're they're live out they did two live albums live and dangerous is considered one of the best live albums of all time 
Um, but there's also some drama and scandal over how live it actually is because <laughs> there's a lot of studio guitar in the, in the end afterwards. I think they recorded all the vocals again all the guitars again the drummer is insistent that his drums are the same as the live drums uh, that they were not uh, dubbed in any way and the audience sounds are apparently authentic yeah there was, there was a little dive into like what really is a live album what is a live album anyway this is Jailbreak off of 1978's Live and Dangerous I mean, he is like very also in the in the very small pantheon of black front men of rock huge rock bands. bands. Yeah, I think that I don't know. It's important to to recognize his contribution of of even if it's like very normalized in a way of just being like a a black guy who leads a rock band. There aren't that many of them. He was also like sort of divorced from the like, what's the word? Uh, Lifetime of lifetimes of trauma that say like an American black front man would have experienced and then maybe channeled through music. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of nice in that way that he was able to not in an ahistorical way, but just like rock as like, yeah, just a, like, just a guy. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that's like kind of what I was. We were we, yeah. were, just, we were watching the queer the new season of Queer Eye on Netflix and talking about like I think it was episode four where it's just like two two like you know middle class black dudes and it wasn't it was just like a normal chill scene of them. They were on a rooks course. Yeah. They're like lining. it's not that often that you see just like two like. 30 something black guys just doing a thing doing a thing and not having it be you know Mm -hmm. through a necessarily like white lens Uh, this is kind of i don't know if this is we might have to cut this later but like i do think that there's a parallel and just like letting someone be yeah as opposed to to making them be like a representation a representation exactly um phil said when the author asked him how he thought he would be remembered, Phil said, well, I'd say that if it was a school report, it would say did better than expected, but not, <laughs> but not as well as hoped for, which I think wow. is a great uh, summing up of the Thin Lizzy wow. experience. The, th- the Thin Lizzy Better story. than expected. He fucking should well have written the book. Yeah. If only. That's an amazing self-appraisal. Yeah. That's a, and he he's like a sharp, like he... He has a sharp self-awareness and always did of where he was and what he where he stood in the, you know, critical opinion and popular yeah. opinion. But I also think that might have been his downfall in a way. Yeah. Of being a little too care, caring too much. I mean, trying simultaneously too hard and not too hard enough. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. Phil. Is there anything left in the Thin Lizzy story? That's it. They came back. <laughs> There's <laughs> they, a current I, lineup that still exists right now, um, including the original drummer and Scott Gorham, as well as a, a host of other guys who I don't know uh, who they are or, or why. I noticed that their discography goes from till like 1985 to 2011, mm-hmm. uh, and, which is not not an uncommon pattern, right? Um, although so again, early, yes. So they're still they're still playing, but they're. Um, they're in a, a, a revived thing. I don't know. I feel like even coming from their earliest days of just like playing in, in rock halls, I feel like 
even Phil would be like, yeah, boys, keep going out there and just entertaining people. It's, yeah. It's a band for people to have fun and dance to. It was about or Phil. Not necessarily dance, but, you know, rock out to. But it was about the boys, too. Yeah. It was about the collective boys. Yeah. Phil Phil valued the, the royal boys. The royal boys. Also, everyone in the current lineup of uh, Thin Lizzy, at least according to the book, looks like they brought their a picture of Scott Weiland into the barbers and said, like, <laughs> give me the Weiland. Give me the Weiland. That sort of, like, flat-ironed, like, scruffy hair that men in their 50s who are trying to capture their, their youth punkish vibes get. I feel bad. It's, it's hard. <laughs> Sorry, Johnny Rodden. We know you're a longtime listener of the program. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's the boys? That's the boys. Um, beloved boys. Good, good band. They produce a lot of good music. Eric, how do you feel now that you know a little bit more about uh, the boys in the town and their context and all the things? I don't know. I kind of stand by my initial assessment, which is that then Lizzie fucking rocks and like it <laughs> continues to, do, they continue to fucking rock in a variety of ways. Yeah. They're a band that produced like a dozen albums in any track off of any of the albums. It sounds like you could put on in a, a dive bar and it would be like, Oh yeah, this goes, this, this is right for the mood. That, and that's mm-hmm. a difficult achievement. Yeah. I'm Even all- the songs that the author thinks sucks. Like that rap song. Yeah. Who's actually great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's okay. My main takeaway is absolutely that Phil Wynett <laughs> fucking was way ahead on the train and that I have to go listen to like all the rest the of that solo. Album. Yeah. yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's what really signifies that he, he, he knew what was up in a, a way, mm-hmm. maybe a, a little bit past his day. Um, anyway, what we talk about when we talk about the boys being back in town, uh, next time you see somebody joking about boys being back in town on Twitter, now you have 90 minutes of, of context for that tweet. Um, <laughs> I think that that's, that's what all tweets need. 90, 90 minutes of context about it. If we weren't doing a show about words about music, we would definitely be doing a show that's unpacking one tweet for 90 minutes. I just had a seizure. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, do you have anything that you want to plug? Um, yeah, uh, if I am not good at kind of, uh, collecting most of my writing work, but you can probably find most of it if you look at my Twitter, which is just my name. Um, and I am writing a book. Uh, oh yeah, you are writing a book. Yeah. For the NYU press, which is sort of about the history of ideological, uh, or ideologically motivated board games, which coincidentally happens to be the most thin Lizzy topic imaginable. <laughs> Phil Wynott, notably into, uh, the original version of Monopoly, the landlord's game. Really? No, <laughs> that would be sick though. Yeah. It would be sick. I would have brought it up way earlier. I promise. <laughs> um, so uh, that's going to be out, uh, I think, fall of 2019. So really just get start getting hyped. <laughs> um, and if you, you want to find out about the show, uh, you can go to DrunkEducation.com. There also is a YouTube channel that has some really good uh, clips from the show, many of which uh, your intrepid co-hosts have filmed. Um, and yeah, it's pretty good shit. I don't know, come out to one of the shows and be like, you said some dumb shit about Thin Lizzy. And I'll say, yes, I did. I apologize. <laughs> uh, fight me. No, I'll fight myself. No, nobody fights anyone. Sorry. Sorry. I'm trying to remove it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, this has been a good episode. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, 
if you are on the West Coast, come yell at me at any of these uh, latter three uh, Chapo Trap House tour dates. Molly, do you have anything you want to need to plug? Uh, follow me on Instagram at Molly Mary O'Brien and soon a new location that I will be putting stuff in called at the Molly Zone. Uh, follow at the Molly Zone. Yeah. And it's gonna be good. You won't your, you won't regret it. A very good title of a Thin Lizzy song. The Molly, the Molly Zone. Zone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it'll be. That's what happens when you uh steal from a cop and get drunk and try to <laughs> go find someone to have sex with and they're like, No, 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 you go gotta go to the jail. That's the Molly Zone. Yeah. Uh and in the meantime, before you get to the Molly Zone, follow us on Twitter at mm. andintropod or send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com. Our SoundCloud is at as always at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. And remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, rate and review us too. But only if you have good things to say. Only positive vibes on the iTunes page. Please. And until that time, we'll be back at you in two more weeks with some more words about music. And until then, uh, get in the Lizzie Mobile. (laughs) 